Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. This week on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Olivia Atkin, podcast host, author, and entrepreneur. Olivia is a dynamic force of inspiration with a diverse background that spans across the country. She has a Bachelor's of Science degree in Business Management and a minor in Sports Studies from Quinnipiac University and a Master's of Business Administration with a specialization in Supply Chain. Leading her business empire, Achieving Success LLC, Olivia has crafted a multifaceted platform that empowers others to reach their full potential. At the heart of her endeavors lies her book, Achieving Success in Career Development, where she imparts invaluable wisdom to aspiring individuals. She further amplifies her message through her captivating podcast, Achieving Success with Olivia Atkin, reaching a global audience eager for motivation and growth. But Olivia's influence doesn't stop there. Through her coaching and speaking division, she engages with others, guiding them on their own paths to success. Her groundbreaking webinar series, Authentically Achieving Your Mix, brings together individuals from diverse backgrounds to foster a community of growth and authenticity. Good morning, Olivia, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today and learn all about your business and your awesome podcast, Achieving Success with Olivia Atkin, and your book. But before we get to where you are right now in your career, I would like you to tell us about your origins and the first job you ever had. So the first job I ever had was actually at my temple, um, half Jewish, half Catholic. So I went to Hebrew school and once you hit sixth grade, you can volunteer. So I started volunteering until like you got to an age where they can pay you, which was really exciting. I'm like, oh, uh, so for three years, because once you got into like eighth grade, ninth grade, they can pay you. I was like the front aid, the front office aid, or like a teaching assistant and just being able to give back to the community while like also having those ties. And so that was really my first job besides babysitting that I got into. And I got to see, interesting enough, and this question, I've never actually thought about this, is that really was the first glimpse of more or less the business side of things so even though I might be a teacher's aide you saw body language a lot you saw you know how people would react to situations or comfortability with doing things and I had to really gauge that a lot of the classes as I started growing as a teacher's aide was the kids that were deemed difficult so the students who had either learning disability or were hyper in a classroom they put them all together and be like that's the class um, <laughs> so I dealt a lot with those students so I really got to see and learn at a young age now that we're talking about it seeing when students started getting uncomfortable seeing how body language was shifting and how certain people were reacting to situations differently and how you had to approach each student. So as a young person in that situation, did you have a mentor or mentors or was it sort of just figure it out as you go along? It was 
kind of figure it out as you go along, you know, a lot of the teachers in that environment, that's their second job. They show up to class, teach their for two hours and have their routine down and that's it. I worked a lot in the office too. So the director of the school would talk to me a lot and she'd guide. She was actually my Hebrew school teacher at one point too. So we were very close. And I ended up working at that Hebrew school even once I got other jobs until I was I graduated high school. So I really grew up either being in Hebrew school classes with those teachers who then I was working alongside and then being with them even once I got other jobs until I was um, graduating high school. Sometimes it can be difficult to navigate working in an environment such as when when it when there's a religious element. So we have our faith involved and mentors that you grew up with. and But now it's a job where you're required to do something. You might need correction. And also you, there's, the of course, the possibility of being disappointed with the way things are being run. As you said, the business, the behind the scenes. What was your experience? Yeah, there were definitely points where I'd sit there and say, wait, why are we doing it this way? Or from my own experiences, a lot of the teachers at that point had been my teachers. So sometimes it was drawing the line between, I didn't like your class because of the way maybe you were handling situations or I felt because I had um, disabilities. So for me, I saw maybe how a teacher wouldn't handle things or how I felt in that situation and then have to work with them. (laughs) (laughs) later on and so that sometimes got difficult it was also difficult at times advocating for myself of saying okay I know you've known me since I was six years old but like I have to now you know once I got into high school and was working and getting paid to work there was the aspect of if a teacher called out I'm now teaching the class I'd get pulled from the front office because I had that teaching they actually went, took me through a course and got certified as a Hebrew school teacher when I was a freshman in high school. So that if a teacher called out and now I'm getting paid, they can stick me in a classroom and teach. So there was the element too of on those days, I'm teaching a religion that I might approach differently than the teacher who's actually teaching the class and how to have that conversation or you know, walking into an environment, obviously there's a religious aspect. So they take the students in for a certain part of it as a whole and do songs and learn that part. And you'd be walking with other teachers and they treat you like, you know, because you've been so close with them for so long, that protectiveness and treating you like their own kid but you're an equal at that moment. So it was very much trying to advocate for myself and how to do it respectfully. I think that's really important no matter the situation is sometimes you have to put your foot down, but sometimes in those moments of advocating for yourself, you still have to do it respectfully because you don't want to burn bridges in any aspect. Oh my word. There's so much to unpack there. I mean, what an education you got And so many different kinds of relationships to navigate and we're all developing. In particular, when we're young, we don't know what we don't know. And Mm -hmm. 
how to speak up and how to speak up in the right way at the right time is definitely an art. And you, the trial by fire, I'm sure the, as you did it, you saw and grew and developed. Wow, gosh, what a wonderful first experience. And I think the added layer to that too is there's two folds to it that you made me think about about when you were saying that. As I mentioned while starting to tell that story was I grew up where I come from a mother whose whole side is Catholic and a father whose whole side is Jewish. So even though I went to Hebrew school and had a bat mitzvah, any holiday, or if I was visiting my grandparents, I'd go to church. So sometimes it's also the mix of someone looking at you, especially a teacher or in in an environment where they're like, I speak fluent Hebrew. I came from Israel and you're, you know, why are you doing this or whatever? Because I had different aspects of how different religions did different things. I had that layer, but also one advantage I think I had was when I was nine years old, I was diagnosed with epilepsy and I had a rare form. So when I was very young, I had to learn that no one else, well, besides my parents, were really going to advocate for me. And so I had to learn quickly and in different environments how to advocate for myself, how to be like, no, I'm doing this. You're not going to tell me I'm not. Um, And I think that really set my trajectory of where I am today, but also in those environments, as I started growing career wise, and even in the religious school of having enough confidence to say, and sometimes it was a little ballsy, you know, um, you're a teenager, (laughs) (laughs) like, no, that's not right. We're doing it this way. This is how I'm doing it. And so I think that definitely helped. And one of the things to this day that I tried to instill in other people is the power of your voice. Absolutely. What an interesting experience. And from such a young age, as you said, from nine, thinking about things that other nine-year-olds aren't thinking about, you know, really thinking about your environment and what you want and needing to let adults know who are supposed to be in charge and they're supposed to know things, but realizing well, it's me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, with my family, I'm going to move forward. And it is interesting how those young experiences really shape how we show up and and work today. So what did you do after the Hebrew school? While I was in high school, I also became a dive coach and was managing sports teams at my high school. That really played a role into what I ended up doing career-wise. Because in college, I was I went to Quimpiac University and I was a manager of two of our D1 hockey programs, both the men and women. I was in Greek life, but I also ended up interning my sophomore going into junior year at the New York football giants. And I knew I wanted to go into sports. I knew I wanted to manage and lead. So I ended up doing sports management and getting in at that young age. I was very young. I was if not the same age younger than the players coming in for their rookie season. So there was that layer of you're new, but you're on a stage. You, you're you showing up. You have to show up at that level. And 
it, that really started my trajectory of where I am today as well as working hard for those doors to be open, but opening those doors myself. I learned no one was going to open them. And I also learned there was going to be comments and there was going to be questions of why are you here? Like, how did you get this? And I still get those to this day, no matter what industry I've always kind of broken that glass ceiling and done the unexpected in roles. I have a degree or certification in every business area. So I have a voice, but I've been told in meetings, whether it's for nonprofits I run or in corporate or in sports, why are you here? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're young. We have the experience. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true. And I've had those discussions many times. And sometimes they're very polite. And sometimes... I'm going, okay, that's the fourth comment you've made in this meeting. And now, now we're going to have the discussion not so kindly in front of everyone, because you also have to, in those kinds of situations, again, use your voice. But if you don't set the standard for yourself on how you're going to be treated and how you're going to react to those situations, everyone else is going to take the lead on that. No, that's such a true statement. It's interesting uh, your emphasis on using your voice and you have put yourself repeatedly in this situation in, in a variety of situations where you've needed to do that sink or swim because if you don't in those as you absolutely are correct to say other people will set the agenda if and if you if they've decided you're not on the agenda then you won't be unless you speak up and what do you think it is or why do you think you have continually found yourself in these environments. Is it that you, well, I won't try to answer. Why, why do you think that you are, you, 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 you seek out those adventures and new places? I think because there's two folds to it. So one, I have thought about this, especially as I, you know, am now on my podcast journey and helping other people in different as aspects. It's really the fact that from that young age, you know, when I was diagnosed with epilepsy at nine years old, after about six months, they told my parents, I had one physician, uh, and he told my parents, and I remember sitting in the room, yes, she has an aid. We don't know how much longer, like, if these seizures continue down this path in this way, like, in a year from now, she might not be able to be in a classroom. And uh, Little did they know they were way wrong because not only did I graduate college early and an MBA in a two-year MBA program in two semesters, but I've ended up teaching. So it's been a journey, but from that age, I really understood that you can lose it all, whether it's by choice or not by choice. You know, my what takes someone an hour to learn takes me three. So I really have to be dedicated in understanding there's certain things I need to do that, especially when I was younger, that other people didn't. And keep in mind, you know, your environment, where you are. Advocate for yourself on, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do that. And I think that really gave me the power that, okay, if I want this, I'm going to make it happen because I had to teach myself not to have seizures with the help of medication. I had to learn 
I started to understand the feeling of when I was going to get a seizure. So I knew what to do. So I really got in tune with my body. Then it was, okay, what are the tricks I can learn? You know, when someone, epilepsy is what the most common neurological disease in the world, but it's one of the things that is not talked about the most and is still one of the things that has the least amount of information continuously put out there and people know about. And so it was also teaching other people. It was saying, no, I'm going to do this even if I have to put in that that extra work. So for me, when someone tells me no, I'm like, I've done it five other times. So just watch now. And I'm not scared to break that glass ceiling or think outside the box. I think a lot of it too, putting myself in those situations and in environments that you're the youngest or, you know, you're doing it this way when everyone's doing it the other way really comes from the fact that I understand and I'm okay with the decisions I make. I've said before, it really comes down to good, bad, or indifferent at the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow, if I'm okay with and can live with whatever decisions and choices I've made that day, then I'm good. If I mean, if I went right and everyone else was going left in what is the norm on how to accomplish a goal or how to get into an industry, and now I'm sitting at that table is, okay, I did it. And if I fail and I didn't end up doing it or it didn't play out the way I thought it would play out, then okay. As long as I can live with the path forward I was taking at the time and I I look back and I don't have regrets, it might be upsetting the way it might have ended but I don't have regrets on the experience and the things I've learned, then I'm good. Well, that's really beautifully said. Thank you. I love that because so much, I think in business and in life, we think about achieving success as an end product, but you've really described an intentional way to live every day. It's not once I get the promotion or once I get how many followers or whatever it is, then I have achieved. It's the daily application of this is the day that I have. What am I going to do? What am I going to choose? And they are my choices for good or for ill. And even if it doesn't turn out, it did turn out because I showed up and I chose and I lived. I didn't give my power away to anybody else. And I I want with with my work is to really empower people through thinking about when we deal with conflict it is about taking power back because it's very disempowering to say, oh, it's up to somebody else, right? And you are a a fantastic example of somebody saying, no, it's not up to somebody else. I will show up, I will partner, I will advocate and whatever happens, happens, but it's not because I didn't show up and act. And I think an important part of that as well is being okay with saying something that someone else might not like. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, especially as your show plays on in its title, that conflict, not all conflict is bad conflict. It's, it's saying something and then act, how you handle that conflict, that is what really matters. And I think part of it too, for me is I'm not scared of the conflict. But when we start having that conflict, let's work through it. And what are the healthy ways to work through that conflict? Because 
if you handle that conflict correctly, it can be more empowering to your own personal growth and to a relationship, whether it's personally or professionally, than just walking away and washing your hands or not having the conversation and saying, I can live with this. You know, there's been times where I've been somewhere and something has been said, oh, you're female. I won't take nothing you're going to say. I'm actually going to take seriously. And that has been said to me in a corporate setting. And at the moment I laughed, I'd already worked in professional sports and you have the locker room environment, which I love the locker room environment with my athletes. I still am very close with a lot of people who have played pro, but it's that, especially because I'm a female, that brother, sister protection relationships that I have in sports with my athletes. So, you know, they didn't hold back, but I learned so much from them too in their experiences and watching them as well as you know, when I was a little bit more aggressive on something, they'd be like, it's okay. Like that's, that's Olivia. And we're all talking like that. So it's understandable in that locker room environment. So in the situation, when a few years later, a comment was made to me in the corporate world, when I was trying to put out a fire that, thank you for your input, but you're laughingly, the man said, even though, because you're a female, nothing you say, I'm going to listen to. And Mm -hmm. He was laughing at saying it. He was a manager. He was my manager. So that made it even better. And I'd been working for him for a while. He actually hired me. So it was one of those things where I'm like, well, if you thought that way, why did you bring me on and put me in this position? But I turned around and I laughed. And it was towards the time of his transition out of the company. He was retiring. So the new manager was already their training. So the new manager saw this, our contractor we had, and then it was the two of us and everyone else were men. And I laughed and I said, and I turned around and I let it die down because I wasn't going to escalate this situation. And I didn't take it to HR, but what I did instead, again, like I said, I have a certification in every business area. So I know how to handle some of these situations and what, you know, what HR would do. I already know those things. So I actually pulled the next day or later that day, the new manager aside and into a meeting. And I brought it up and I said, you should be very thankful that I have a background where the, you know, the joking old school way of saying things and mindset, I've been around it long enough that I can laugh that off in the moment and not go to HR and not escalate this or not escalate the overall situation. I said, however, understand one thing. If this was anyone else who did not have my experience is in de-escalation or this or that, they would have gone right to HR. Everyone here would have been written up. You are a manager just because you're training and taking over does not mean you didn't have the power to use your voice and set the tone for everyone else to know that was unacceptable. So I had a conversation with him of like, understand these could have been the repercussions, understand this is how it came off. This is how it was sounded. This is what I'm doing. This is going to be how this is moving forward. And I ended up taking it to HR, just not that moment in time and standing up and walking away because I wanted to make sure 
two, I think one of the very important things too is having a clear mind and not speaking with your emotions. So I knew in that moment, it was an ignorant comment and a comment that is also coming from some arrogance. And I decided, oh, I have some feelings about this. Granted, I think anyone would, but am I going to give him my power? Like you said, give him my power to know he just won at that game. You know, he said it, he got the reaction out of me. Now I'm playing into what he's saying because now I'm spiraling in front of all these men. And that was kind of what he was alluding to. No, I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to do my job and do it well. And then later in the day, we're going to have a conversation about it. Once, you know, it's the whole situation has de-escalated and you're going to know how I'm feeling and I'm going to be able to articulate it the way I want to actually get the point across and we'll move forward that way. That's a powerful example of a variety of things, right? The power of the pause. In conflict, many times we, as you said, we escalate and we end up arguing and nothing gets solved. And the person is like, who threw the punch first? Well, if you threw the punch second, you still threw a punch. And we get sucked into somebody else's misbehavior. And when somebody else misbehaves, it doesn't sign how we need to respond. We get to decide. And if somebody else were to be in the room and they felt what they wanted to do was stand up and walk out, then they get to do that. If somebody else wants to say, you know, whatever it is, that it's that ability to decide what it is you want to do, given who you are, what you value, and how you want to move forward. I think so many times we tell, in particular women, you're wrong for handling it that way, or you should have done something else. One of the responses is, you're welcome to handle your life the way that you want to, and I'm welcome to be an adult and to make my own decisions. And what is a good decision for one person may not be for somebody else. And I think that's very important. That's a part of being empowered. Should you go to HR? Well, you should have because you did and you deemed that that was the right thing to do for you. Was that the right thing for everyone? I mean, I I would side that I would, I definitely want to root out these behaviors and not let people get away with it and all of this kind of stuff. But we aren't to decide for other people. And what I actually did in the essence of HR, because a lot of it, some of it is stigma around HR and how they might handle it and how that might backfire. And there's been times in another role I went to HR, I called HR that after an issue arose in a meeting, I walked out, I made a comment and I'll tell that story in a moment and called HR. In this situation, I was like, you're out the door in three days. And I didn't do it. But then what the reason I ended up going to HR, because I knew I was going to last longer than he was. And I wasn't trying to start the conflict or escalate the conflict with days. Now, it probably would have been different if there was not a new manager coming in, that he wasn't about to leave, but he was. And so I took those into consideration too. But what I ended up finding out was a few months later month or two later when our annual review started happening was that he went into my annual review and tried to write it as if I was completely incompetent that this that and the next and that's when I was like you're now playing with my 
trajectory of my career and you're not even here, but you did this and it's in writing. And these are the things you were doing. So now we really have to get transparent. Now there's not a choice because there's a lot of things. If you say a comment and this and that, that, okay, we can handle that one way. I'm a firm believer though, is again, the power of your voice. But when you are in a situation like that and someone is blatantly and you can see the wording and people aren't agreeing with that wording, but now it's in your file, messing with your trajectory and your path. That's when I go, oh no, we're gonna, if we're going to play this game and I'm blatantly, I will say this in different situations. If that's the game you want to play, I will play the game. You're just not going to like the outcome. So at that point, I went to HR and I said, he's gone. So it's fine. But we're going to lay all these out and I'm going to tell you who was there. This is what happened. Here's the notes. Here's what was said. The takeaway, blah, blah, blah. Because this that's written in my file needs to come out and I'm not signing it until it comes out because of all these things that were said and how it was handled. And then they were like, why didn't you tell me this before? I said, because I I didn't need to. He was leaving. It was being handled. He was gone. I said, but this is following me. So now we have another issue. There's that added layer. In a previous role, the one time in my career, I have gone directly to HR as a situation was unfolding. I worked for this company and I was in partnership with a few sports teams and I worked with a orthopedic group that was the team doctors and I was doing the sports department. So our pro teams and doing calls and because of how fast I could do these calls, where I was sitting was in a call center. So because of my knowledge, a lot of the individuals who were employed there did not have college degrees. I did. I can get through a call. I can figure out the root call cause of like where that person's pain was like I took my training seriously so they ended up having me jump on many different departments and not with my athletes when no one was calling which knock on what I was hoping was a lot because that means none of my athletes were getting injured playing so I was fine with it and then obviously for anyone who has worked in a call center you know the calls come in And even once you hang up, there's dead space for about 30 seconds before another call hits your phone and your computer and all of that. So being someone who's a high performer and have many things on the plate, it got to a point where in between calls, I check my phone real fast or in between if there was a low period, I'll check my emails or do something like that. So one point, one of the managers called me into the office and was like, you know, you're not always on the phone. And I said, wait a second. The daily quota for phone calls are 70 and I'm hitting almost 140 calls per day. Your other employees are hitting 70 or around that. They're not breaking 100, 95% of them. So I'm outperforming everyone. And they're like, well, we're walking the aisles and we see you on your phone sometimes or this and that. And I said, Well, again, I'm still outperforming, but also, you know, sometimes you need that moment in between a call. Like, it's not like I'm ignoring a call, but in between a call, mentally, I said, isn't it better, though, that I have the few seconds to regroup? I'll then get refocused and I'll be able to stay on point longer during 
the day and concentrate because I'm having those few moments of mental breaks throughout the day. And the manager looked at me, we're sitting across the table, and she goes, then I think we should take you to HR and get you evaluated to see if there's any like issues. And I looked at her and I said, so you want to get me evaluated because I'm touching my phone throughout the day and see if I qualify under any disabilities. And she goes, well, and I said, you really don't understand how that all works, do you? And she looked at me and now I'm getting, I'm irritated, I'm pissed off. And I'm like, well, again, I had my HR certification at the time. And I'm like, you're not equipped. I said, first of all, it's illegal for you to tell me that. I said, second of all, you don't have any knowledge in any of those educational disabilities. So you're not allowed to tell me what you think. And I said, third of all, being as annoyed as I was, I said, third of all, you have people searching the internet instead of taking calls. I said, they're putting themselves on do not disturb or that they're in the bathroom and they're searching online shopping. I said, but I'm the one that needs, like maybe I need, we need to talk to HR about. And she looked at me and I got up and I walked out and again, we're on a big floor and I walked to where, out of her office and I walked onto the floor and they're like, how did the meeting go? Knowing that I talk with my hands, you know, you can see when I'm getting a little aggravated <laughs> and I don't hold back sometimes. <laughs> and I walked out and loudly, I said, she thinks that because I touch my phone periodically in between each phone calls that I need to have a conversation in HR. And I said it enough. So I said, for all of you who are in my group and searching the internet, get ready because she's going to think we all can't have breaks during the day. I waited five minutes, gave myself a moment to cool down. I called HR. I like pulled it up on my computer. Didn't use the company phone. I used my personal phone. Walked out to the hallway and I called up HR and they're like, what? And I said, this is what just happened. And they're like, she can't do that. That She can't have that conversation. Also, like, again, your numbers, your perform, like, what? And I'm like, and this is what's happening here. No one's doing a check. No one's, she's not reporting to anyone. And no one's in our location. So the three other, it was a total of four managers. All four managers were doing similar things, which were unethical, which were inappropriate, but they wanted the numbers to be there. And so I called HR and I said, this is what's happening. Now figure out a solution because that's not appropriate. She ended up getting suspended for two weeks and she came back and she came back and she got humped of what was appropriate to say and how to approach a situation. There was then training she had to do. And she did end up having to report to someone regularly with updates or if she was having a conversation. And for a little bit after that, someone else had to be in the room. But it was A, yeah, it was a bad situation. And B, it was something that she needed, let's be honest, she needed to be checked on. She needed to be put in her place. But even though, yes, some would say, well, you got her suspended. I was dang proud that I got her suspended because she needed re repercussions for the actions. But also that suspension and the things that happened after that suspension allowed her to learn and grow as a manager. 
So if no one checked her, if any, if nothing was said in that situation, she'd be doing the same exact thing and doing it not just to me, but to other people. And I was not okay with playing that scene. I knew that by, and knowing what was going to be put in place, that if, if she took it seriously, she was going to be able to exceed in her job. And so any one moment doesn't define us. It's always part of the journey in the story. And I think that's when you're dealing with conflict and issues and whether to go to HR specifically or not, we have to remember that it's a part of our story and our journey and how we handle situations. And, and that could teach us just as much, but it's also part of the other person. And are you doing it in injustice, not just to yourself and how that was handled, but also to their growth of really understanding. Cause sometimes that all comes from, and I hate to say it this way, a level of ignorance. I absolutely agree. We are all on journeys and we ought to treat each other humanely. And silence when somebody is misbehaving or mistreating others is not kindness. And it's not kind to us. It's not kind to them or the environment. And we aren't in control of other people's emotions or their responses. But we can, as you have said many times, we can speak up for ourselves. We can advocate for ourselves. And all of us have had not proud moments at work. All of us have not shown up and done the best thing. All of us have made mistakes and they are opportunities to grow, right? There are opportunities to think, okay, I did that. It didn't turn out well. What can I do next? And all of us should be growing and developing this idea of hands off, not being watched or not having someone we report to. A lot of times it's actually not to our benefit, right? We'd like it at the time because we're free and no one's looking over us. And and we certainly don't want micromanaging. No, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. But there's also the problem of the hands off because how are we supposed to grow? How are we supposed to get better if somebody doesn't say, hey, did you not know this? Or, hey, why are you doing it this way? Do you need this training? How can you grow and develop? And we all help each other in a variety of different ways. And I think another important aspect to that too, and a saying I say all the time, is sometimes you know what you don't know. Meaning I can say, this is not my area of expertise. I'm not the one to come to about this. I'm willing to learn about it if you want to go down that journey and I'll sit in the meeting, like let me learn. But sometimes there's the aspects of, I don't know what I don't know. Right. So when there isn't that person holding you accountable at all, at any point or doing check-in, you're becoming stagnant just because you didn't know that you didn't know something or then an issue arises and you're like, wait, I was supposed to do that step in the process? No one right. told me that. And they're like, well, have, have you been doing that for two months? Yeah, because no one told me. And then they're like, wait, so- all this work is wrong and no one knew because no one was looking at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Olivia, what do you think about all the different work experiences you've had? What is the best experience you've had with a colleague, a boss, an organization? And what was it that was so good for you about it? There's a few. I've been lucky enough that in every work environment I've had, I've had at least one person that even took me under their wing or mentored me or really was there even from a different department to I, I just be able to talk to. 
I think when I always praise this organization, because to me, they are the best organization in the world, um, the New York Football Giants. The Mariners and the Tishes bring in employees and they stay. And that, I think, they stay their whole careers, 25, 30 years. And I think that speaks volumes to the culture, to the work, being able to collaborate with different departments, being heard. And so for me, again, I got that role when I was very young and I stayed there for six years. And I had managers or individuals because I ended up working in different departments because of my background and experience. I was that person that was like, hey, listen, you need help. I'll help. I'll learn. I'll do it. And so for me, I got the ability to work with many different departments. But it was also the people giving me the chance to work in those departments and saying, hey, I need help. Would you like to come in and help? And it's going to be for like an hour today. But you'll get a chance to see something. I'll tell you what to do. But you'll get a chance to see an aspect of the business that you're not going to see in your role. So that organization specifically, I really call it, you know, they call it a family there. And it really is. And I love that organization. I think they really, it isn't a, especially in sports, I'm going to use that as an example. Sports can be cutthroat because there's only so, especially in pro sports, there's only so many teams. There's only so many leagues. There's only so many employees a team can hire full-time in the front office. There is caps on that. So it can become very cutthroat. And it can become in certain organizations very me, me, me. And sometimes not only me, 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 but I'm going to do stuff that is potentially like not give you the information or not tell you this because then you can't grow. And then I might get a further, a different opportunity. And the Giants don't play that way. And I think when I've worked at other organizations and I've grown throughout my career, I've always had the ability to look back at that Giants and that family. And when I've gone into other environments, even though they weren't pro sports, used those experiences and those moments of how situations were handled and use that knowledge and be able to reapply it. So from an overarching perspective, to answer your question, definitely the Giants. I've had a few mentors along the way, but I think especially in my journey, it's just as important for you to be there and show up for yourself. No one can do that. That's the biggest thing. So yes, you have to lean on other people sometimes and Yes, you should have mentors. They don't have to be just within your department or your chain of command. They can be in totally different industries. I've had mentors that when they kind of took me under their wing and really had conversations with me and we built this friendship and it became more of a friendship, they weren't in my industry and they weren't doing a job that I thought at any point I would do. Fast forward years later, Oh, now I'm in that environment. Right. Oh, now they've already taught me these things. Now I know I can go back to them and it's that friendship. So I think that's just as important as well. 
many of us have had this experience. We are in an organization, and in your case, it was a wonderful organization, and it gives us a picture of what things could be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people have only had toxic experience after toxic experience, and there's the hope of a good flourishing environment isn't there. But when you know what could be there, when you know it doesn't have to be cutthroat, when you know it could actually be an organization where we respect each other in this reciprocal relationship, that means everybody gets better, right? Mm -hmm. Goodness and treating people well means that everybody benefits. It's not, as you said, the scarcity of resource, right? In some, I mean, in life, there is only so much money, so many positions, so many whatever, but that, while that may be true, when it comes to how we treat one another, the better we treat one another, that just grows and blooms where the cutthroat does the opposite. It implodes and makes things worse and harder. I think part of it too is, again, I was with the Giants younger. And then I did have some environments, like you were saying, that were toxic and you're looking at it. And I think part of what has definitely helped me and you brought it up was the aspect of, you know, what it could be and how a company can really succeed by leaning on each other and not that cutthroat or the comments and letting those comments just like upper management, just letting them go or the lack of processes and procedures or training or whatever it might be. And I think going from that wonderful organization, especially at my age and getting that foot in the door and getting that experience and then going into other environments where it wasn't like that, I knew what it could be. And I tried. There were times I was like, look, I've been in a situation that's vastly different. Let's try to change it. But in doing that, it's also understanding your own power and what you can do. And also understanding and knowing that's okay, that if you get to a point, it is okay to walk away. And I think a lot of individuals, when you're in the thick of it, you forget that you have the power to say, this isn't working. It's not good for my mental. It's not good for my physical health. I'm leaving and I'm taking the stress or I'm taking it into other aspects of my life. And yeah, okay, I've tried to work on it for six months. But now you have the power to say, I'm relinquishing myself of this. And there's just as much power in that decision as well. Oh, I absolutely agree. Olivia, will you tell us about your podcast, Achieving Success with Olivia Atkin, and your book? How did that come about? Tell us about that journey. So I launched a company on November 1st, 2022, called Achieving Success LLC. And within it, I have three divisions. Like you mentioned, a book. The book is called Achieving Success in Career Development. It was actually the very first thing I did prior to even thinking of a company. I had been approached by a publishing company who was looking for an individual to write a textbook, Kendall Hunt Publishing. And they'd approached me because they wanted someone to write a textbook on career development. And they were looking for someone. And they'd heard me speak. They saw at the time, in addition to working for Lockheed Martin, I was also a adjunct professor at Quinnipiac University. So I was teaching career development, ironically enough, at the time as well. And I wasn't just talking the talk, I was walk, I'd was i walked the walk and done it in a lot of industries and had a lot of experiences. So they had approached me to write a book 
And that book covers everything from resume building and cover letters with templates to professional organizations, why it's important to get involved, continuous education out there and everything in between. But it was very purposeful. You know, I wanted it and I laid out the ground rules of like, if I'm going to do this, I want to write it a certain way because textbooks sometimes can be very daunting. So I had to be able to write it the way I talk and how I write without too many edits. Uh, It needed to be affordable, which was very important to me. I know so many individuals who might not be able to afford to go to college, but would still need this book, who might not be able, you're looking at $300 textbooks at a university and you have to decide whether you're going to eat or pay for the books you need for class. So that book, anyone could buy. It's on my website. You can go to kendallhuntpublishing.com and buy it. You can buy it on Amazon and the schools use it now, but it's $15 for the electric copy and $30 for the hard copy. So they definitely are a organization again that lead by example and are willing to work with their employees. And then from there, when that book released July 2022, they said to me, Olivia, have you ever thought of doing a podcast? You should do a podcast. You've all this background. It's so engaging to talk to you, all these stories, perspectives. And my initial reaction was like, guys, I work full time. I'm an adjunct professor. I am a president of ASCM for the Save Connecticut. I sit on their international board and I advise two universities for Greek life. And I do try to have a social life. It's very hard sometimes, <laughs> but I do try. And I'm like, so where is this? No, not ever wanting to say no right off the bat and wanting to hear things out. I said, do you have a podcast division? Thinking in my head, not knowing that much about podcasting at the time. Okay, they're going to bring me on because they brought it up. They must have a division. They're going to bring me on. They're going to pay me. I'll record. We'll do the show. That's it. Their answer right away was, no, we just think you should do it. (laughs) I was like, thank you, but no. And I ended up the end of August deciding not going back and teaching at Quimbiac University. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, this podcast, it might be able to make an impact to someone. It might be able to discuss things. And I started thinking about what I would want the show to look like. And I'm like, we might be able to take what I was doing in the classroom and now that I can't teach in a classroom and give those resources to people. And so on September 14th, I met with one of my good friends who has a top podcast, Marcus Ogden. And I told him my idea. I didn't have the name, but I said I would want to talk about success, people's journeys professionally and personally, what they've learned along the way and this and that. And I said, what do you think of the concept? What do you think of the kind of guests? We went into all that. And I said, tell me straight of time commitment, how much money, like, is it worth doing, especially with my idea? And through the FaceTime, again, he, we call each other twins, we're best friends. He said to me, I will come up from Raleigh and I will smack you behind the head if you don't do this. He's like, you need to do this. And so that ended up, Still at that point, I was like, okay, let's see what we'll do. I'll give it the try. I'll put in the effort. I have a little bit more time now. And I started diving into it. And between September to November 1st, 
when my podcast launched, as well as my business, we went from a podcast to a full-blown business. And the podcast name, Achieving Success with Olivia Akin, is now a top 10% most listened to podcast in the world. We are in 20 countries and growing. And we bring on celebrities, professional athletes, employees, and and entrepreneurs or owners of companies to discuss what success means and looks like to them and their journey. And, you know, those low lows, but high highs that have really shaped who we are and have really played a role. And sometimes it's also, we talk about very role specific or company specific or, or, you know, what an industry is like. So it can pivot sometimes we end up just talking about tips and tricks. You know, we dive into the conversation, someone gets so passionate, which is amazing, that we end up just giving the audience different perspectives on how to approach a situation or whatever it might be. And I think that's the joy in it, is that really anyone can relate to it, anyone can take it away. And the purpose of it, when I started, was partially like the Wizard of Oz at the end of the movie, pulling back that, you know, that blind of being like, this is what it's really like. There's a lot of misconceptions, especially in today's society of the, everyone, as I say, puts our A-list moments on social media. You're not seeing those C moments. You're not seeing when you're sitting there as a business owner and you're like, oh my God, I have to do payroll and we just made enough money to cover everything this month. Or is this the right decision to make for a business or as a manager going, okay, how do I handle the situation of letting someone go? How do I, you know, is there more being that emotional intelligence? Is there more being put into place here that I just don't know about? And then we have the coaching speaking side of the business where I consult with organizations or I'll go and speak. I just did a TED talk about defeating your biggest enemy, you, how we all can get in our own ways sometimes and how to push through that. And then a big part of Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited for everyone to be able to actually watch it. TED International has given it praise. It was held in Texas. Texas has called it the event of the year. Um, They've called it, a review called it the Grammys of TED Talks. So I'm like, Wow. Okay, guys. (laughs) Um, I appreciate the kind words. And so it's, it was definitely a journey. And when we talk about leadership and resiliency and change, those individuals that I spoke on that platform with and have now become like family to me, they embody that fully. And they have told that through their stories and it was really amazing. And you really saw the passion come out. And a big part of the company too, in achieving your success through my consulting is really working on those moments and how to pivot, how to handle different situations, the emotional intelligence side, or that just, I need help with my resume and cover letter. I want to see where I can, what I can do to grow, to leverage myself and my experiences. I work with a lot of athletes that as you go from transitioning from sports to post sports life whether by choice or by situation um and they don't understand how oh I've been in football for 20 years of my life nothing I do is gonna go into accounting and I'm like that's not true there's soft skills let's start pulling it so it's even that and a big part of it as well as on the podcasting side because of the research I've done and 
the how my show has played out really trying to help individuals on that side as well yeah Olivia so I'd like to ask this question to end um, my podcast and you've talked to so many different people in different industries and you've had your own vast experience so given all of that what do you think needs to happen in the next 10 years so that people are treated not only with dignity and respect at work, but are encouraged to thrive. I think, and you're making me think about this for a little bit, because I have a few ideas on this topic. I think it is the ability to give yourself grace and give others the same grace. Sometimes, especially in work environments, we're so quick to judge how a situation should be handled or what you should have done. You should have known to do this. That you forget that what might have led them to make that decision. What might have led them? Do they have different experiences? So that really they've solved a bigger problem. You're just not seeing it. Do they, are, are they struggling today because there's something happening at home that you just don't know about? They don't feel comfortable sharing. Giving them that grace but also the power of giving yourself the grace of understanding that we're not always going to be able to show up in our best way. We're not always going to be in the environment where we feel comfortable, but in those moments, knowing that I'm doing the best I can. And that's just as important. I love that grace. Grace always wins grace and love. Absolutely. Olivia, thank you so much for your time. I'm definitely going to put your information in the show notes. So check out Achieving Success with Olivia Atkin and her book and her organization. Thank you, Olivia, for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Olivia, for being on Conflict Managed. I appreciate what you shared of some of the situations that you've had to deal with. And a lot of us can resonate and think about the difficulties we've had and how we've dealt with them, maybe how we wish we had have dealt with them and certainly what we can do in the future to help people have healthy work environments, ourselves included, and your advice to give others and ourselves grace. I am 100% behind grace. Let's certainly extend that to others and to ourselves. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. My new book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure, is available on Amazon. It's 80 tips of what not to do at work and starting the conversation of what a healthy work environment looks like. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. Come back next Tuesday. We have new episodes every Tuesday. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.